Hello, welcome back to a new episode of Feather Love of Weather podcast, where we discuss all things weather and how they can impact our daily lives. We really hope that you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more. My name is Gemma. And my name is Ashling, and we have a super interesting guest today, Gary Nicholson from Mountain Weather Service. And he has a huge focus on safety in mountains, as you can imagine from the title of his company. But he's been doing it since 2013. And let's just get started. Gary, you have to tell us where where was that first time that spark came from about working in the weather? How did you look up one day and think, oh, I'm going to dedicate my life to that? Thank you very much for having me on the, the podcast. Um, I guess I, I was always an outdoorsy sort of person. So um, I always was looking at maps and geographical things. So it just, to me, sort of came hand in hand with that. I would always, as a child, would just like watching the weather forecast on television. So I, I don't know whether I always wanted to be a weather person, but I guess I think I always even sometimes would draw little weather maps, even without much knowledge about it at all as a child, and would almost even just like make up some sort of weather map because I'd seen it on TV and would draw my own thing and make up my own weather. So I guess from there, the, the long and short of it is that the job, the dream job, ended up the reality sometimes without even planning it, I suppose. So yeah, from a fairly young age, I've always had an interest and a fascination with, uh, with the weather and the outdoors. It's the best way to do it though, isn't it? If you love what you do, you'll never, ever mind doing it. So why wouldn't you? We're so so lucky. We all work in something that we love. Tell us though a little bit about, so jumping from drawing maps, actually a little bit more serious. Tell us about your role at Mountain Weather Information Service. What does it involve? Um, Well, we're an organisation absolutely dedicated to all the hills and mountains of of Britain. It, it, It has a one unique selling point in that sense compared to many other weather forecasting outfits out there that will um, cover all interests. We're just dedicated to what's going on up on the high tops and that uh, is our main focus and and that's always going to be the most important thing that we do. I suppose it's a safety organisation and everything we write is a sort of a warning with a lowercase w. So, you know, although we don't put out official weather warnings that say, you know, the Met Office would be responsible for, the words and the language that we use is always geared towards that safety element and that the more words we write actually the worse the weather is going to be if it's a day where the weather is just absolutely placid uh, you'll almost our forecast end up as a blank sheet of paper and I think that's uh, what people are always looking for that if there's lots of words on it sometimes you think well that's just going to be the classic what they call the type two day and you're just going to be hammering against the conditions all the time. So who uses the information that you provide? It's very much aimed at all users, really, from novice hill walkers right up to the mountain professionals, uh, the mountain leaders who will uh, very much use it to sort of plan their days ahead. So the the language is geared at everybody to try and just get that message across of what the mountain conditions are really like. And it's trying to just tell it like it is without any jargon or anything too extravagant or tabloid style it's trying to put across words that mean something for the people out on the hills so uh, the description of the wind I think is the thing that we uh, value our forecast then we put the wind speeds but the words that follow it really sort of hit home for people what it's actually going to feel like and our favorite phrase of considerable buffeting that we really ought to have on a t-shirt somewhere and but that phrase alone tells its own story about what you're going to experience right on the hills and, and it, we've almost 
without having it written down. We've like got our own version of a, of a Beaufort scale for the hills, right up from sort of negligible impact on your walking whatsoever to your buffeting and all the way up to sort of any mobility tortuous where you literally can't put one foot in front of the, the other without being spun around in circles. And, you know, literally that does happen. And, and you have your mountaineers, your professional people um, who can be just reduced to, to crawling on, on the high tops in, in those sorts of circumstances. So it's I, I find it really interesting what you're saying because I've done a couple of mountain forecasts myself as part of like larger forecasting and I've always felt a sense of nervousness actually creating them because well, first of all if you're not familiar with the actual area that you're forecasting for is and you can see it on a map and you can see topography and things like that but there's a very different value added feel to it that you give if you actually know that area really well but let's just say it's let's say 15 miles an hour down at the surface so that means we would call that breezy but describe to us what happens then as you go up 10 meters 20 meters 30 meters what what what's happening on those days tell us what that would mean how, how what what's your what's your process what's your i guess ge- generally i mean we're looking at a whole load of charts and data we spend a lot of time looking at charts to do with higher levels in the atmosphere so so that's our process of working it out the thing is i suppose for getting a wind speed with increasing height there's no absolute rule of thumb for it because it will vary from day to day there's going to be some days where you're in a valley where there's hardly any wind and there'll be a massive increase of wind speed with height so when you get to the tops it's absolutely blowing a gale um there can be some days actually where the strongest of the winds blows down slopes from some of the summits uh, and the, the, the most powerful winds can be through some passes and into, say, some of the, the sheltered corries, for example, around the mountains. And it's actually not as windy when you get onto the highest top. So it's trying to understand the weather processes that create that different variation uh, and then trying to explain that to the users who look at the forecast and put it across to, to, to give that, that general feel for the day as, as to whether it is a really gusty sort of day or it's, it's, it's a wind that will really, really hit you in different locations that you might not have first thought of. So, yeah, I mean, there is a, a sense of a sort of a doubling or a trebling of wind speed with, with certain increases of height, but th- there's no absolute rule of thumb that you'd say, oh, well, it's, it's 10 miles an hour at sea level. It's guaranteed to be 30 miles an hour mm-hmm. on the top of Ben Nevis because it just doesn't just happen like that. As much as you'd like to have a, an absolute uh, calculation, uh, it will vary very much from day to day, but it's, it's how it feels. I mean, it very one thing, I guess, to think about is, is how how little wind speed on the hills can actually really hit you in that some people will go on the hills and they thought, oh, that was really hard work. That was really windy. It was much more than I was expecting. How windy was it today? It must have been gale force. And I said, well, it's only about 20, 25 miles an hour. That actually brings it home just how quickly things can start to get quite difficult. If you were up there in 40 miles an hour, but for your average person would really struggle um, to, to just keep walking. A, a professional walker may you know, battle on into it much more strongly. But it doesn't take much once you're on exposed ridges and edges uh, to, to start getting into into uh, rather dodgy conditions. So is that what you're like thinking in your head? So you've got this like huge mountain area. It's huge, but there's only certain places that people tend to walk on or there's, you know, known mountains. So you're kind of thinking of them when you're creating the forecast, you know, in your head. Are you thinking of these different walkways as well? Or are you just sort of looking at the whole area yeah, very much and making so. assumptions about where people yeah. are going to go it is uh, and like you say there's certain routes i mean you think of the lake district for example and there's the exposed ridges up to hell you've got the 
um, the areas around Snowdon as well, when you, 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 some of your main traffic routes go on very exposed places. Uh, I guess we're tailoring for the hills and the mountains at large, um, but if it's a particular day where, where gustiness is really going to be, to be a factor, then yeah, we will try and just mention you know, the words that are appropriate. Occasionally, I'm thinking almost in the summertime when, when young families, for example, are trying to attempt hills, uh, we're more likely to put in a word, for example, like you, you may be blown over, you know, not over yeah. the edge literally, but you, you know, as, mm-hmm. as less weighty people, small children, uh, will get flawed to the ground by wind much more easily than a, than a more robust adult climber. So, so certainly in the, in the, in the summer season, and, and I guess we tailor the forecast a little bit to the time of year, so that in the height of summer, if there's suddenly going to be a, a very windy day that might only be just near gale force, uh, which in the winter you'd say is almost 10 a penny and, and um, you know, not, not quite as severe in the summer, we, we will maybe push that emphasis a bit more that, that this, this could hit uh, your more average walker you, you, with, with uh, a little bit more strength. So it's trying to tailor various things for the hills and mountains and then the, the users on the hills at different times of year. If it's a bank holiday weekend, you know, and, and there's any sense of bad weather, that's got to go in with a bit more emphasis than it would do maybe on an average weekday in, in January. Not, not that it wouldn't be underplayed, but it's just tailoring that, that different... Uh, different idea to the people who are there I guess. So do you do you see that the people using the information that you provide whether it's going to your I don't know how you track people that whether you can go into the website but do you find that that changes the people using the information depending on what time of year it is? Yeah I, I, we will have some you know rough and ready data on on, on the, the, the traffic on the site and the, the surprising thing actually it may be to some people that, that our site is perhaps even more popular in the winter time than the summer to some extent because that's where you the the, the ice climbing community and, and and those who really want to experience the harsh winter weather are up there so you maybe get even without knowing it directly we will know and from people we speak to and in, in the mountain community uh, very much that there are different users at different times of year uh, in that sense so so i think we're always aware of that and, and tailoring the words a little bit you know according according to that so you 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 mentioned a lot about wind and you were talking about like the sort of the different uh, you know structures almost of people that are going up there so you're like little people to families yeah. to you know you know guided groups and things tell us a bit more then about the wet weather so including snow including rain as well what what happens to your forecast when we will give you know the general rainfall story for the day i mean the things think about for the mountains and it's maybe a a general message that all the weather that's happening in the mountains whatever you're used to in the lowlands or anywhere else the mountains will enhance and almost exaggerate the effect of what's going on that the weather genuinely is just more extreme in the mountains. And that's always a thing to think about, I guess, even for us analyzing the weather situation. So, so the rainfall story, that the enhancement of rainfall, the process we refer to as orographic enhancement, which is where it essentially just rains even heavier in the mountains because they're actually there, that the air is forced to rise over them. That basically just brings the rain down in ever greater quantities and we're dealing with that and we we will write words like just incessant torrential rain or uh, phrases like that for for the very worst of days. Uh, We'll add to it as well the sort of the effect on the footpaths and things like you know footpaths may flood, um, the general ground conditions if it's saturated underfoot for example, 
Um, so all of that gets factored in. I mean, e even a, a generally average sort of drizzly damp day, if there's a bit of wind around as well, it can be a day in the hills where actually if you have got a rain gauge and you were trying to measure what you've got, you might only pick up a mill or so of rain and somebody comes wandering in off the hill. They look like an absolutely drowned rat because they've been out in rain blowing sideways all day. And so it's to emphasize that, that sometimes people could say, well, oh, well, you said it was only going to be a bit of drizzle and, and we got absolutely soaked. Well, we're trying to make sure that message is in there that it can just be a day of constant rain constant dampness and moisture being thrown at you for for what could actually have not been a you know a particularly active weather system sometimes i mean that that, that is a common thing and, and then you come to snow and the the, the relative difficulty, as all forecasters know, of trying to forecast the snow. And we're, we're, we're trying to do a, a, a two-pronged attack at it, forecast it in the first place, and then get the height level of it right. The, yeah. the, the easy bit, I guess, is when it's really a cold snap and it snows to all levels. The, the, yeah. the fun really comes from our point of view then, when, when the freezing level is about halfway up the mountains, or say two-thirds of the way up, and it's raining at the bottom, it's snowing a blizzard on the top. Uh, somewhere in between, it's it's a mix of rain, sleet, and snow, and everything in, 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 the, in the mix. And trying to get that exact height level um, is, is a whole new challenge in itself in the winter time and that's always always fun and games and the computer modeling is getting much much better at being able to interpret the the freezing level and, and that's that's helps us hugely and a lot of it can still come down to experience of just understanding the situation and what's going on and literally you you can get from one valley or one glen to the next sometimes at almost the same height just because you've got pools of cold air that's been sitting in place you can get one valley that's raining the next valley is snowing and almost we sometimes will even express that if that's going to be the situation impossible to forecast exactly right but but it's just that nice mixture of precipitation that that <laughs> gives us the runaround as, as everybody oh the yes. wintry mix that <laughs> yeah mix. gosh it's making it's me think already about the impending winter that's coming I know, up i know <laughs> i was actually asked the other day uh, about snow at christmas already <laughs> yeah i was it was kind of a joke but you know and and you know it, and, you know i was saying well statistically it's not actually likely to snow christmas more likely to snow you know in april and things like that but it's like i just gave me shivers i was like oh god oh that's too early so, for that question it is too early for that question you know i'm just gary i'm i'm, I, I'm reminiscing myself and i'm listening to you talking about the different weather i think that one of the most amazing walks actually I've ever done. I've done a lot of very comfortable walking over the years, particularly before I had children. But I also, one of the most amazing walks I did was the Tongariro Crossing in New Zealand. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's fantastic. It's just an incredible walk. You basically walk over a mountain through a glacier into a volcano, kind <laughs> of a, a, you know, a, a volcanic area and that. But my God, the weather changed like I was on a guided walk and even on the guided walk the group was split and I wasn't unfit at the time but you could see how very easily things could go wrong on various parts of the walk so the initial part was quite a tall climb so you could easily slip on that then we got to the mountain there was snow on the top and there was like a shower rolling in as we got there and we were trying to sort of push away from it and then we dropped down and it was really warm but um it was probably one of the most complex. It was the first time I felt nervous, even on a guided walk, where I was like, mm, I can see how this is going very wrong very quickly and how you could very quickly get cold as well, going in and out of so many different climates. Very much so. I mean, that the, the feeling of cold, I mean, the wind chill factor is 
again, a thing that will really surprise people in that sense. And any sort of exposure that kicks in so quickly. And even a relative temperature of, say, five degrees in the wintertime, which doesn't seem you know, particularly cold, add on 20, 25, 30 miles an hour wind, you're dipping that way below freezing point. There's various calculations that we try and do to judge that. And it's the thing that will really hit you very quickly. And, and you, you realise if you had a problem, if you had an accident on the hills, it's all very well when you're walking on and keeping going. If you were suddenly stuck and you were out in that, it's how long can you cope with that before you're rescued? And that's, I guess, why in the wintertime, you know, we, we will big up any sort of wind chill. We, we will write severe wind chill quite often through the winter. It's not hype, but it's just to say, look, this is going to get you if you're up there in, in that sort of condition. Uh, and New Zealand, yeah, is a very, in a very similar climate, I guess, in, in many ways to the British Isles weather. It's a very similar sort of weather situation. They've got bigger mountains, obviously, but the principles of it are very similar naturally. It's that windshield factor. I think that will that would really yeah. hit you. And, and I think the worst we've had a few winters ago, even last winter, was it, it got there. But the, the beast from the east pattern in 2018, uh, I'm sure there was a spell where we got a minus 30 wind chill on our calculations that we put out for the mountains. Just wow. absolutely yeah, extreme. Just... The air temperature would have been something like minus 10 or 11 on, say, Cairngorm Summit. Yeah. And it was going to be something like a 40 or 50 miles an hour easterly wind. It's just absolutely arctic. Nothing, no more words for it. So, like, do, yeah. would you, do people go out on those days? Like, do you get feedback from people on those days? There'd be very few people. I mean, the, the odd sort of, you know, very hardened, almost Arctic expedition type of person who might mm. attempt to get some way up there. Uh, there will be plenty who attempt what could be considered modest winter conditions by, by their standards. But I think some of those really harsh days, you'd be rare, even if you've got a professional who was going out. And maybe the professionals even more so should know when not to go out, I guess. That's the, mm. that's the thing that they will take into it. And it's then maybe getting the message across to, to the person who is maybe considering it and thinks, oh, it won't be that bad. That yeah, look, this will, you know, this will be a real problem. Communication is a big part of your job. I mean, everything that you've said so far is taking the data, but communicating it in a way where people can understand it, but also they'll get the warning from it straight away and know what to do in those situations. Mm. Really important in what you do to get that message out so that people take notice and actually listen to what you're saying. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, as I said earlier on, that the the more words we have, the worse it's going to be. And I, I think just putting across the difference of descriptive terms that people mm. will know, love and hate maybe in our mountain forecasts is the thing that gets that message across there. I mean, you could argue nowadays that a lot of our content is almost, you know, quite wordy. People are so used now to just flicking through apps, looking at pictures, looking at numbers. And I think there is some room, you know, we're sort of trying to plan for what we're going to sort of, you know, how we're going to evolve to keep up with with all sorts of users and can we do more to get message across to people who will just swipe apps and things but there's always going to be a need to just express it in out and out pretty blunt sentences to be fair and that's what we try and do which we try not to to over egg it but but when you know there are really significant conditions happening it's really trying to just hammer home the real feel of what's going on um, sometimes you you know for the mountains that's more important really than it would be in the lowlands in, in many respects yeah there's only so much you can get from an app really the app's not going to necessarily tell you what those conditions will be like for you if you're on a mountain it can tell you what the winds are like but if you're quite new to walking and you go up to the mountains and you're in those conditions you won't really know what to expect so that's where your your forecast can become vital for people like that 
It is. And, and once you say very difficult conditions or severe wind chill, the, the words have a meaning to them for mm. people. Hopefully they do. That, that, that really just paints a picture of what you're going to feel when you're on high. And, and that's that's what we're trying to do. We, we know that's all there in, in the written forecast that we put out, you know, all our content that is stuck up on notice boards and tourist information sites. Anyone who knows Mountain Weather Information Service, it's all there. Uh, sometimes it almost seems quite an anonymous service that these sort of mythical forecasts appear on all these pages and no one <laughs> quite knows where they come from. But those you know, pieces of paper, you know, people who are onto the mountains, no, say, no love and hate them, I guess, in terms of the, the, the content that's there. Add to that nowadays as well, we, we do our YouTube videos that go out as well, which uh, are hopefully accessing a, a new audience as well and, and putting out their message in a different way. And, you know, we want to do more and more of that. So, so the um, all users covered and, you know, we try and relay that message and, and, and get it out there in, as the best way we can. You know, there's an argument, though, for you know, you're saying that the language that you use is repetitive, but it needs to be standardized because you're trying to, if you start, you know, trying to say things in a different way, just for the sake of saying them in a different way, well, actually you might, like people need those familiarity. If you're going out walking regularly, you know, that X is, you know, that if you say windchill is this windchill is, you know, you don't really want to change the language that you use. Yeah, we, we vary the words around a little bit as a so just to keep yeah. it fresh and to keep the impact there almost yeah. from day to day. But we do have a pretty, you know, standard stock library almost of phrases that, that will cover different circumstances for sure. Yeah. Um so just talking about different circumstances, are there things that you look out for in different regions of the UK? So you've got the Pennines, for example, and then you spoke about the mountains in Scotland, like what, what are the different things that you would look out for between those two mountain ranges? Yeah. The local geography of Britain is so fascinating that there's so many localised effects depending on the wind direction. From, from day to day, slight variations in all of it and different parts of the country have, have different weather basically so you know you, you go from a, a damp southwesterly that, that will bring low cloud and murk and clag to almost the very lowest hill slopes of the western side of the Pennines and the Lake District some somewhere a bit further northeast and the cloud story is far different it, it, I guess the difference between like the Pennines and the Highlands it comes down in many ways to the heights that you're dealing with um, the highest points that the, the popular areas say around the three peaks go to 700 meters the popular areas in the, the Highlands are up to uh, you know, Ben Nevis 1300 meters plus so you're dealing with quite a difference in height and that's quite important and for for the you know the added extremity of the weather in many ways it can be extreme enough on the tops of the Pennines but you you adding a different level I guess again to what you will get on on the higher Scottish tops and the Munros and all of that anywhere that has a, a, a close access to the coast is always going to be first in the firing line for, for any weather that's coming in say from the Atlantic so you're going to be more into low cloud when the showers coming in from the sea say in the winter time they will just rattle in one after another um, anywhere that's then more in sheltered locations, for example, often in, in the typical westerly flow, that the Cairngorms does very well for being sheltered. You get higher cloud, you tend to get less in the way of general precipitation. But again, all of that will vary depending on the wind direction. And, and I guess even for us day to day doing the forecasts, it, we're, the first thing we're looking at is wind direction 
the source of the air in terms of where it's it's general sort of characteristics are from your classic air masses in all of that and then piecing together the picture for the local geography um so the cairngorms their their worst weather naturally comes in as a north by northeasterly anything that's maybe wrapping around off the the, the north sea and the Murray firth that they get hit by that and and that's again just local variations day to day you've just reminded me of a fascinating fact about inverness i remember when i first moved to the uk you know, I had to really sit down and learn all of the geography and all of the counties and where everything exactly sat. But the one thing I remembered about Inverness is that the rainfall is only about, I think it's only like something like 800 millimetres a year in Inverness. It's yeah. tiny. It's tiny. It's well sheltered. Uh, yeah. The prevailing sort of west by southwesterly, it just rains itself out like a sponge across the West Highlands. Once you get to that, that Moray coast... Uh, you, you're very quickly into a rain shadow. It's the classic orographic enhancement rain shadowing effects as, as just the prevailing wind across Britain comes in from the Atlantic. And, and yeah, there is a very dry climate to some extent on that, that northeast coast of Scotland, uh, just simply because the hills mop up everything that comes at it. Uh, Fascinating. If I'm a beginner to novice mountain walker and I'm on your website and I'm thinking I need to know what the weather's going to be like today, what are like the standard parts of the weather that I should be looking at? I think the first thing that most people on the hills will worry about is the wind. And that's the first thing that appears on all our forecasts. So when you're reading down our content, the first weather parameter of the, of the ones that we have from, from wind to rain to cloud to sunshine to temperature, wind comes first because even when there was early research done when MWIS was set up in the first place, it was what was the thing that matters most. And it was wind mm -hmm. because that's the, that's the decision maker. It's the daybreaker. If, you know, it could be a dry day, it could be a fine day. The wind on the hills, for, certainly for the novice walker, can start to make an unpleasant or a difficult day very quickly. And again, for, for not as much wind as you might always think, that's the thing that can you know, make you struggle, I think. Maybe more so in some ways than perhaps even a wet day. If it's a moderately wet day and not, not windy, people can kind of cope it depends on their tolerance levels if you know no one really likes trudging along in in, in steady rain but but certainly wind on the hills can can uh, be the much more unpleasant both in of the, them are the... tricky you can't stop for a nice cup of tea with either of them no nope. <laughs> can i was really surprised when we chatted to lizzie in our um in our podcast about weather and trekking when she said that if there's a wind speed of 25 miles per hour on one of the mountains i think it was one in wales that they just don't go out on the walk it's too windy and i was like seems so so low I, I, I assumed it would be a much higher wind speed that would therefore stop walks because it would be too windy yeah it is surprising how how yeah the the low wind speed relatively can hit you and I guess it's more because you're on such exposed ground that it doesn't take much to start to cause you a problem mm -hmm. if you were walking on you know say 20 25 miles per hour wind on on just a countryside path you wouldn't really worry about it very much but as soon as you're somewhere on, on a slightly perilous edge or whatever, anything that's knocking you about and, and add some gustiness into that as well, of course. Yeah, suddenly it's, it's, it's much more, it, it will feel much worse because literally you're just exposed to everything mm. that's being thrown at you on the hills. I think it's the exposure on the hills yeah. that almost mm. frightens people sometimes. It can, it can seem so much worse. It can yeah. seem as though you're absolutely, mm. 
it, it hypes it. It, it may, whether it's the, the human fear factor, I don't know, being overawed in the in the environment, but almost it does just seem to be much worse by perception, even if nothing else. Tell us what has been your worst and your best forecast. What in terms of being correct, or in, or just the actual? <laughs> in terms of anything, like maybe it was a situation, yeah. or maybe it was the actual forecast. What's your worst and your best forecast? Yeah, there you are, remember, um, probably in in terms of how difficult forecasts can be to do anything where there is just no consensus at a couple of days out even between forecasting models to try and get an answer. I mean, we do express confidence levels in our forecasts, I think is the key. And, and people will maybe appreciate if we just write low confidence and it's not a cop out. It just means that, look, come back tomorrow. We'll know a bit more, hopefully. And, you know, that there are occasions, you know, even for the best of us, where you think you've got the story absolutely nailed down. You look at the situation the next morning. That's not quite <laughs> yeah, what no. where, where did that come from? So, you know, there's, the weather will always surprise us in that sense. There was certainly one time, I think certainly for, in terms of a best forecast for experiencing it myself, maybe, uh, was when I was doing a, a day, um, I was on shift the day before, the next day I was due to be in the Lake District, uh, and it was a damp southwesterly, it was the typical sort of thing where most of the Lakeland Fells were absolutely filled in, and I'd almost got free choice, I was just going for a, a walk on my own, and I was thinking, right, I could go anywhere here, let's go and test out the whole theory, and, and I was going to go somewhere in the northeastern lake, so around Oldswater, that part of the world, this is my best chance of getting somewhere out of fog. And I got there and obviously I could see, you know, there, there was fog at sort of five, 600 metres thereabouts. I thought, I'm still going to get up there and not get any sort of view. I thought, I'm sure I said, and I, the idea that this would lift a little bit as the day goes on, I might just get out. This is the best place to be properly. I, I was going up um, towards it was it was around Bedefell in the around Howtown people will know on the north on the northeastern side so it's not that high I was walking up there you're up to 500 meters I thought, I'm, I'm in fog I got there I was nearing the top I thought I can't see the summit anywhere I'm coming towards it somewhere on, on this ridge I'm not going to see a thing just got to where the summit cairn was the fog almost by magic lifted just as I got there, the whole view opened up and I thought that has worked. You couldn't time that. Any yeah, better. yeah. And I got the view timing. of everything and it lifted up to 600 metres or more. And <sighs> I wasn't on a massive mountain for that, I guess, is, is the thing. But it, the, yeah. the forecast principle, just to sort of see that happen, mm. to pick the place. And there was a, a very smug forecast of that day. I think yeah. I nailed that. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> to be in the so, know, to use that information and to choose your location very carefully yeah. as well. Yeah, I always try and do that. And yeah, I, I, I would be a self-confessed fair weather walker in, in that way. You'd say, well, you know, I should be ready for all weathers. But actually, if I've gone out there and been absolutely miserable and, and, and uh, it's my only my own fault. So, so I, I have yeah. to pick the days that are perfect, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> so if that was your best forecast or you, like your, the memory that popped to your head, tell mm. us about one that didn't work out so well. Uh, it's hard to think but there's, there's various times I say you look at webcams I think I was in the Peak District even one day and I thought well this was all going to clear this was going to lift and I had somewhere on the western side of Kinder Scout and it just kept coming in and for, for a forecast that was wasn't set to be a great deal of anything in terms of rain or cloud just enough of a westerly flow just kept coming in and feeding in low cloud and mist and drizzle and it was one of those days where again you just get wet for the sake of it and that's 
frustrating as, as much as anything but the strange thing is you always learn from any mistakes in that yeah. respect. and I think the the thing whenever I go anywhere in the mountains whether it's the lakes Snowdonia times in the highlands you know you always learn something new just by being there and seeing it happen you will then goes into the memory bank somewhere as to um yeah I remember that situation when that comes up next time and I, I saw it happen I saw this happen and you start to get reference points and the more you do it the more you build up a picture of right so I'm on shift the next day it's going to be that same sort of weather pattern when I was there it did that and and you sort of that you know it all helps as, as crazy as it seems just by being there and seeing it yeah. the experience is invaluable we I often describe myself as a professional pattern recognition person <laughs> so <laughs> it gets to a point where you've seen enough weather systems or you you start to collect a history of what has gone what's to come and what's happening now and when you see something on a a map you know whether it's going to be a pain in the bottom to yeah. forecast for or not if you if you see nothing else but just kind of how the you know three charts in a row and you think oh god you know yeah. it is that, it is pattern recognition very much so yeah, and that's is, what yeah. weather is there's a, there's a i think yeah. weather and to some extent is, is part science part art in many ways and if you can just see you can see it and almost read between the lines of what the model forecast come out you could steer all round left right and center trying to work out what the model forecast yeah. come up with sometimes because they can all be completely different and then if you sort of put your own ideas onto it it's always satisfying if you sort of yeah. saw the general situation and thought yeah that didn't do that last time when it was like this I think this is what's going to happen you stick your neck out and go for it and, yeah. and you know take the satisfaction when it's correct and often it can be something as simple as how quickly a front can move across the country they yeah. tend not to clear as easily as the models think little things like that I guess you just learn all the time you do or maybe it's something as simple as well of as like you know maybe there's just something about the wind not at a level that you are like maybe something the wind at 10,000 foot there's something that's different about it to something else and you think no nah, I don't trust that or I do trust that or that's oh, the showers the models always think the showers. I last yeah. saw it yeah 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 so the models always anything. think the showers are going to die out too quickly like that's not going to happen they're going to yeah. carry on for longer <laughs> I know <laughs> and where are they going to be who knows those showers <laughs> Anyway. They're very random. I mean, we, we do, again, thinking of local geography, we, that there are in the mountain areas some very, I suppose, regular shower band phenomenon. And some of it is, is coastal effects in the wintertime. You get a specific north-northwesterly, you create your classic Pembrokeshire dangler that, that everybody knows and loves. I guess the Cheshire Gap showers that come through. I mean, actually, the thing that maybe mm. surprised many people is that they start off life actually coming through the gap between Northern Ireland and Southwest Scotland, that that's what sets them off. It's, it's the convergence lines that form mm -hmm. through the irregular coastline. Uh, and it can sometimes start and affect Britain from a long way away, that some of the classic easterly patterns, it all depends what the wind pattern does somewhere off the north of Denmark, and that funnels it across, that hits the central belt of Scotland with, with snow showers. And, and it's these little local subtle effects. And I think they're almost as the more fascinating elements of weather in some extent, that you get the big frontal systems, the big weather players that happen. But some of those subtle localised patterns just to do with the local geography, the coastline, anything like that is, is fascinating. And to see almost the repetition of it, to see things happen, to see... Um, like in the spring and summer, that the coasts will clear as the sea breeze gets in, the shower clouds are inland. Uh, little things like that are always fascinating just to watch it on the satellite picture unfold. You know, I think actually even now to this day, it still shocks me how far inland the Cheshire Gap can get. 
like yeah. two gap showers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I, I'm Boy, still like, how's how's that? You know. Anyway, so many things still fascinate me. I still have so so much to learn. Shall we? I think we will take this on. We need to get to know you a little bit more, Gary. So we've got some questions for you. <laughs> yep. Here we go. So, what's your favourite season? Favourite season? I'd probably go for sort of late springtime, just as things are coming to life. So I'm very specific and go in, into a part of a season. Early spring is always disappointing because it always you're waiting forever for something to happen. But once you get the trees started to come to leaf and you really feel like, right, summer's on the way, you're there uh, and you've got the whole rest of the summer ahead of you. I think if I had to pick, and I do like autumn because it starts to get cosy. Early spring, everything's beginning. Um, yeah. That is the right answer. It is also my favourite season yeah. and my favourite part of the season. <laughs> it's a nice time of year. Is oh, I'll give you that. Is a nice. We're time we're we're twisting Gemma to 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 spring. She's slowly glancing over at it from autumn, thinking maybe I'm in autumn. So I'm I'm in my element at the moment. I have to say, from a weather forecasting point of view, actually, probably that time of spring is about as hard as it gets because that's where things start to get very slow moving and slack. Yeah. It's actually mm-hmm. the easiest things to forecast for, I guess, are more the autumn and winter except when it gets a bit of a muddle between rain and snow. But yeah, a nice jet stream coming in, they're the easy ones to forecast. Yeah, yeah. like you're so, going to be gone in six pretty, hours. Yeah. yeah, six or 12 hours, yeah. gone. Yeah. Your favourite cloud? Favourite cloud? I'd probably go with something random like alto cumulus or something like that that just creates a nice sort of the, the, the little sort of mackerel sky cotton mm. wool effects always look quite striking as just something a bit different a nice big bank of cirrus at sunset as well because you know that that's going to create a, a, an absolutely perfect glow so that just, is very yeah. true yes Lovely. i love that yeah you've seen a nice a nice full fullish bank of cirrus during the afternoon you think, please stay here because that's going to glow like anything in a few mm. hours time yeah um, yeah i'd go for that actually in that case are you sunset or sunrise Oh, sunset, I should think. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not really a morning person. I'd rather, I'd always rather do a walk <laughs> on the hill starting about early mid-afternoon and, and chase it out into the sunset and just, just hopefully get, hopefully judge it to get back to the <laughs> bottom before it goes dark. Tea or coffee? Uh, tea, probably. Um, but maybe something a bit more offbeat and fruity rather than just bog standard tea. So. <gasps> really? Yeah. Like, what type of fruit are we talking about here? Well, it could be a whole variety. Any sort of uh, between raspberry or there was, there was a nice, I think it was, it was a raspberry. There was a raspberry fruit tea that was very nice. I had some time recently. So, yeah. Yeah. There's something a bit different. Interesting. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, snow, yes or no? Yes. Um, <gasps> I think. I do like snow. As long as it's going to stick around for long enough to sort of actually enjoy it and not just turn to slush within like a, a day or even half a day. Not always easy, I think, as most weather people will say, when it's actually your turn to try and forecast it because everyone mm. says, is it going to snow? Is it going to snow? And you're like, yeah, I think it's going to do. And then you're really hoping that you've just got that freezing level, the temperature right. And if you're right on the boundary, people are so um, almost unappreciative of how difficult it can be just between that boundary between an absolute whiteout and nothing at all and just a load of yeah. you know, 0.5 degrees and rain and slush and the, the margins are so fine uh, but yeah I, I do like snow and it's always fun to try and forecast snow as well I guess even if it's, uh, it's quite tricky. I have never heard it being described as fun that's a first <laughs> for me. If you were a fruit or vegetable what would you be? Oh crikey. 
probably be I'd probably be a fruit. I don't know why pineapple pops into my head, but oh. I go for that. And it does and a, a pineapple does belong on a pizza, by the way. Controversial. But there you go. Yes, it does. Hawaiian pizza. Yeah. Oh amazing. Good answer. I, I can't get on board with the pineapple and the pizza, but just I'll accept your I can I'll, I'll accept your decisions. <laughs> that's fine, but I won't be eating the pizza. <laughs> if you could invite anybody to dinner, and it could be anybody at all, so one person, who would it be? What from any time in history? Any time in any time. They can be fictional, yeah. whatever you want. Uh, I'd probably go. I don't know. I would always be interested to go back in time and to sort of see some of the. I don't know figures from from history to some extent. Um, yeah, even back into the Victorian times, when the when the you know, the railways were just starting getting going and things like that, and seeing how that almost the, the innovation suddenly took off with with what they were building. So yeah, I don't know whether anyone specifically, but but something like that, I guess, to go back and see. I actually um, came across a uh, a podcast on time that time wasn't standardised. And, you know, it was the railways that helped standardise time. It was an absolutely fascinating era to exist in. That imagine in one town to another that time was not necessarily consistent. And it was the railways that did that. Anyway, that was just thought I'd add that in. Yeah, because they had, they had to have something yeah. to do a timetable. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, you, you would have to sort of standardise yeah. something so you weren't, so you didn't actually know when the train was going to chug into the station I suppose otherwise it could be all over the place yeah and sometimes and sometimes there was only you know the town clock was the clock everything yeah, went by the you know, the church bells you know that was it any sort of time travel would be really cool if that was I'd be up for that quite, yeah. da- quite dangerous but you know there you go <laughs> you never know what you might mess with <laughs> that's true <laughs> lotto <laughs> numbers <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you find those out when you time travel you need to come back and tell me those Ash things <laughs> Will, don't you worry we've got two more questions uh this is our most random question of the uh, of the round fingers for toes or toes for fingers oh uh that's not easy fingers for toes you could probably make more use of another mm. pair of hands i guess yeah yeah, yeah I that's what you reckon yeah it seems more logical you, you yeah that pair of hands Think of how much forecasting you could do if you sat yes. down. You'd have four hands. You'd do a double, triple shift all at once. <laughs> yeah, <that's> true. <laughs> and our final question is, one thing that you wish everybody knew about the weather? That it's not just set in stone and, you know, it can just vary so... I think people don't appreciate how much it varies so quickly, I think, is, is that, that they assume that, oh, well, it's just, you know, you, you should know what's going to happen. And, and even as good as we are now, it beats us we we don't you know it, it is it is its own entity and i think that maybe is a strange suggestion but maybe yeah just just the idea that it, that it is it is so so varied uh, and always always has been always will be i mean there's there's obviously with with the climate change element that that more extreme weathers you know are trying to kick in but i think it's the appreciation as well that so many extremes in our climate in britain are possible and and yeah maybe not as much as some parts of the world i guess but we can still with different weather patterns blend from from you know something of an absolute heat wave to, to something of it's halfway siberian so yeah the, the randomness i guess i think is the best thing to say you're here one of the reasons why i love the uk climate and it keeps me here i love it this that i 
for that exact reason we can just get so many different just so many different seasons in, in different you know over a couple of days sometimes yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. so we're coming to the end of our forecast and we do like to leave a little weather wisdom so something that we can just a take-home thought something new to uh to chat about so do you have a weather wisdom for us um yeah i mean i think it's topical for the moment and it's the thing that everybody loves and that's the inversion the cloud inversion that people get on the hills so i guess you know this time of year you're going to see more and more of that in the day-to-day weather situation i think from the mountain point of view it's perhaps interesting to think of almost two different types of inversion there's the one that just gives you your pretty standard autumnal foggy bottom if you like and and um the valley fog that will disappear fairly quickly in the morning um which is simply just as the the nights get longer your temperatures drop away more quickly the ground radiates the, the temperature from the day cold dense air pools in the bottom of the valley it saturates out in the damp autumn air goes to fog uh, and that just pools in the bottom of the valleys you can even be on a modest hillside and end up above that above an inversion where the hills have stayed in relatively freer air and and, and you've got a bit, bit warmer air on the hilltops I, I guess that the what you might call it a true mountain cloud inversion is the one where you will be sort of halfway up the hill there's the banks of cloud and fog and you're tantalizing as to whether you're just going to get out on the top so much different to what you'd think of as the autumnal um, valley fog itself and it's the harder ones for us to forecast I guess is just how high is that cloud top going to be and there isn't always a straight answer to it that we try and give a sort of a, a general feel for what it's going to get and actually you can be on the hills you could almost just do with a slightly higher trig point or a step ladder and you get out of the fog and you'd see over the top of it those are the real pain ones to try and forecast but those are really occurring where you've got a nice area of high pressure fairly stable atmosphere air is gently descending within the high so it's warming through compression as that happens it traps a colder layer beneath it and and that colder layer saturated enough to have the cloud bank and it, it just leaves that in place maybe over several days you need the moisture in place you need a generally damp source of air either having had some rain or, or an air mass that sort of drifted in from the south sometimes even in high summer I think the last couple of Augusts have had some perfect inversions uh, across the highlands where literally the highest mountain peaks have just come through uh, and, and that's a, 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 the classic situation to get um, but you just need that combination of plenty of moisture, a fairly static benign weather pattern, a nice area of high pressure in, and, and to just cap off that layer and, and leave it in place for, for a few days and, and leave the mountain peaks just coming through. The, the cloud inversion, the temperature inversion thing is everyone's favourite um, holy grail on the mountains to, to get. And it, it's just trying to know when they occur. Uh, as I say, watch for a bit of high pressure. Think about the moisture that's in the atmosphere. That, that's what you need to get that really do make for some fascinating photos and actually this time of year we definitely see a lot more so I spend a lot of time on Twitter looking at pretty pictures of the atmosphere because I'm obsessed with clouds basically but I do love some of the inversions that you get around this time of year just absolutely fascinating and I really admire people especially if they're doing a sunrise one because I think wow you've had to get up really early to do that it's probably really cold climbing through that cloud and then you pop out into this little slab of warmer air fascinating they might yeah, have warmed um, camp to yeah at the top of the yeah, mountain yeah maybe freezing. 
yeah oh they will yeah and i know and and there's plenty of people even through this summer i you know we've had pictures sent into our social media feeds that oh oh you know the inversions were promised and we were climbing up through cloud we didn't believe it and 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 it was there and and for us doing the forecast it's always we're watching there's some of the good mountain webcams in scotland that have just there's one or two really quite high up and you go straight to those on the morning you're expecting the inversion is it clear is it clear and you look at it and that's you've just nailed it perfect and and those are those are always uh, always good. We're uh, look, looking constantly for, for those in the forecast because we know how popular they are. Um, mm. Anything once you've got some some stability in the atmosphere to create that, uh, and yeah, we're just just trying to to pin those down. Not the easiest thing to forecast at all, but again, it comes down to a bit of experience to what what this weather yeah. situation brings. Little wins. That's what it's all about. Little wins in forecasting, <laughs> and it's like so magical as well about being at the top of a mountain. And being above the clouds, like being above the cloud inversion, it's yeah, amazing. beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful. Gary, thank you so much. Thank you, Gary, for joining us today. We massively value and appreciate your time, and also you've really given me insight into the fact that I probably shouldn't be doing mountain weather forecasting. Thank you very much. It's very. I don't have enough time. It is. It's really tricky. I don't have enough time to go out to out climbing, exploring all of these things, but. Yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably not not go back to mountain forecasting. But who knows? Who knows? Who I knows? I think it's probably about as fascinating as weather forecasting can get because it's yeah. so extreme. I guess if, you, if it's the nearest you're going to get as a UK weather forecaster to writing some properly extreme stuff, um, and I think that perhaps is the whole purpose that we're there for is to relay that extreme message when it's appropriate and when it's not extreme and it's just a nice, quiet, benign day. And we can sit back and just write no rain, clear summits, and people can enjoy their day. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. that's always a happy one. But but it's making sure that when it's not like that, people know all about it. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. We have loved having you on. We've learned a lot as well, as always. It's like free learning with all of our guests. We just consume yeah. all of your information. It's really easy for us. <laughs> no, Jay, thank you for having me on. Thank you very much. If you are listening and you have enjoyed this episode, could you please rate, uh, review and subscribe? That would be absolutely amazing. Also, if you could share the podcast with anybody that you think might like to listen to us chat about the weather, um, we would love that as well. You can obviously find us on social media. We are on Instagram and on TikTok. We are there on For the Love of Weather. And on Twitter, we are the number four love of weather. And as always, we hope that you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more. And just before we actually nip away, Gary, what are your socials? For Emwish, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The Twitter feed is at the underscore Emwish. It's the same for Instagram. Facebook is at Mountain Weather Information Service, all one long word. And the Emwish website, mwis.org.uk. And you can follow all our stuff on our YouTube channel, all the links from that as well on the website. So that's, uh, you'll uh, hear my voice at least on the YouTube channel, even if you don't see me, but we've got lots of nice weather maps and charts for you to indulge yourself with on on there. Sounds fabby. Yes. Thank you very much for joining. And yes, myself and Gemma definitely hope that you leave this episode just loving the weather that little bit more. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.